2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And I just want to talk about, just for a few minutes this morning, about um, what does a powerful Christian look like? And what is the power of God? How does that look? And how is it displayed? And I'd just like us to, first of all, before we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, let's look at Numbers 20. And this is just something I've been thinking about the last few weeks, just in my personal life. And guys, you know, 98%, 99% of the messages that I preach, I'm really preaching it myself. And um, because I think it just seems to be that God's working so deeply in, in all of our lives. And, and in verse 10 of chapter 20 of Numbers, Moses and Aaron are gathered. They gathered the assembly together. And um, there's a problem in verses 2 through 9 where they get to a place and there's no water. And they are, uh, the assembly gathers against them, against Moses and Aaron. And the people are quarreling in verse 3 with Moses and said, What would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? And they're just talking here. They're complaining because there's no water. And again, they're accusing his leadership. Have you led us out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? And Moses and Aaron went from the assembly, from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and fell on their faces. And what a beautiful picture of leadership there. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff, assemble the congregation in verse eight, you and Aaron and your brother and tell the rock before their, their eyes to yield its water. Okay, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give them drink to the congregation and to the cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Does this remind you of something that happened in Exodus chapter 17? Moses is in the same kind of situation. There's no water. Uh, Most commentators will tell you that Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers 20 are two different places. Although they sound the same, the wilderness of sin and the wilderness of Zin. Uh, it's commonly, commonly accepted as two different locations. So we see the same thing happening twice. And they're there, and they're uh, in Exodus chapter 17. God tells Moses to what? Strike the rock with his staff, right? Take your staff, Moses, and strike the rock, and the rock, and the rock will give forth its waters. Here in Numbers 20, same thing, same argument, same exa- almost the same exact words. And then God says to Moses and Aaron, <clears throat> speak to the rock. <clears throat> speak to the rock. Speak to it. Don't strike it. Speak to it. And so what does Moses do? And Pastor Adam just brought this up a moment ago. Moses and Aaron are gathered. They get the assembly together before the rock. And what's the rock? What does the rock represent, guys? What is Jesus Christ, right? The rock is traveling with them, right, through the wilderness. And that in itself is kind of just how do we, how do I, is a rock just traveling underground? You know, and, it, and I don't know how it works, but this rock, which represents Jesus Christ, is with his people. Exodus chapter 17, the whole point of what was being communicated was, is that the Lord is present with them. That the Lord is present with them, and he's a rock. Here again, they're saying, go, go to the rock, speak to the rock. And what does Moses do? He lifts his hand in verse 11, strikes the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and all of their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, and because you did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You know, commentaries really wrestle about why is God so severe? 
why, this, 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 the way we read this in verse 13 and in verse 12, it appears to us that this is the worst sin that Moses has ever committed because now he can't go to the promised land because he strikes the rock twice. He takes his staff and he hits the rock twice. There's a lot of beautiful symbolism here. And, and if you've read this before, it, it warms our heart to think about the rock and, and the, the, the rock being struck once in Exodus chapter 17, which is a picture of the, of the death, burial, the, the crucifixion, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. And then the second here in, in Numbers chapter 20 speaks about a resurrected Christ that, we don't, that doesn't need to be re-crucified, but we speak to him and he answers us. And it speaks about the gentleness and the brokenness of Christ. Yet something else is happening here. A couple weeks ago, I was in the cafe and I was talking with a gentleman. And, and he was just telling me about just how rough a year it was for him. Very difficult. And... In many ways, on every front of his life, it was just, just very difficult, very difficult. And uh, you can tell that, you know, when, so, when, when, when someone is sharing with you these things, you can kind of see the hand of the Lord, right? You can see that God is dealing with all of us, has dealt, dealt with me personally and deals with every one of us in this room in a, in a very gentle way. And as he's explaining about this hardship, he, he, he ends it like this, and that was just all ridiculousness. That was just all nonsense, and that's all over right now. And it just dawned on me, because I've said that before myself, that did this, did this person miss the entire purpose of, that, of those difficulties and, those, and those, those, difficulty, those difficult times? Did he, just, did, did, he and, did he just not see it, and he just called the whole thing ridiculousness and just, just the result of just bad people and the, the government and where we live and, and circumstances in their life. And it was sad to hear that. And I didn't have the liberty at the moment to challenge him to say that because I didn't think that that was the right opportunity. But you know something? Moses here is in a place where God is trying to get something across to him. Moses was the kind of guy that would break things. He would get angry. He would break things and break people. Uh, he was a person, as it was said earlier, that struggled with anger. And this is, there's a Moses inside of every one of us. And what is God doing here? Why is God so severe in the way he's dealing with Moses? Because what's the most important thing that God wants to work into our life? And that is us learning how to speak to the rock instead of striking it. Us learning how the rock has been broken, now God needs to break us. Moses, at that moment, instead of breaking the rock striking the rock twice out of anger and frustration, God wanted to break Moses at that moment. And what does the breaking of God look like? And what does that, what does that mean? Well, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and I'm going to read it to you. And you know something, you know, maybe these are some verses. Sometimes you hear us talk about verses like, I know that verse. But, you know, let's never have that attitude. Let's always read the scripture with a fresh Renewal in our hearts and our minds about the depths of the scripture. Amen? Amen. Seven, verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always bearing, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Why was Moses barred from the promised land? Because when we do not allow God to break the vessel, guess what happens? We don't get to see the promised land. That means that when the vessel is not broken, that means I'm living in the energy and the power and the will and the opinion and the preferences of my flesh. And I'm not allowing God to work and to lead us or lead me into the prom- into a place where God wants to give this to us by grace. You know, look at the most amazing things that you have in your life, your spouse or your life or your friendships or what God has given you so graciously. Did that come into your life through something that you were able to do yourself or was that a gift of the grace of God? Was that something that God gifted to you and I? Some of the most beautiful things and the most beautiful experiences that I've had in the years that I've walked with God is things that have happened that I could have never made happen in my life personally. It was something that was given to me by grace because we took a step of faith. Amen? We said this last night, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that when we live in the flesh, we are not able to see the good, the grace of God when it comes. There are some people that they have it all. I mean, they just have it all. And you talk to them and they're just so, they're so, they're just so, they're so nasty. They're just so like, there's no thankfulness. There's no, there's just no, there's no brokenness. There's no, and when we're not broken, God can't use us. Pastor Adam said it earlier. When you have a bruised reed, it's useless. Can I tell you something? We as human beings throw away broken things because we can't use them. God can't use things unless they're broken. We can't be used by God unless we're broken. Brokenness is so important. It's paramount. Why does God want to break us? Because he's sadistic? Because he's angry? Because he wants to punish us? Do he wants to make us feel bad? Or he feels that we're getting too confident? Or we're, getting, we're too happy? No. Because there's something inside of us that is so much more powerful and so much more precious than the vessel. We live in a society which is very much impacted by the Greco-Roman culture and society. If you remember correctly, the Greek and Roman culture really worshipped the, the, the human physique, the physical body. And this was creature worship. And we, we, we read about this in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. The, where, where culture and the world that we live in is all about the vessel. Let's celebrate the vessel. Let's, let's, let's worship the vessel. Let's, look at, let's, make, let's uh, buy and sell the vessel. Let's make the vessel more... But there's something inside of us that is so much more precious and so much more valuable than the vessel, and that is the treasure that is inside of us. And that is illustrated, we see, in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, where, where the woman takes this alabaster box, which was a vessel that could be opened only once. And once it was opened, the entire contents needed to be poured out. And this was just, just, this was just a week before Jesus' death. And... And, and, and historians describe this, this vessel, this, this, um, this fragrance that was inside of the alabaster box was something that was so strong and so powerful. It was like a family heirloom. And it was the most prized possession that, that was in anybody's home. And when it was broken, it needed to be all poured out and it was a one-time thing. And it was so strong and so powerful that this, that this vessel, <clears throat> the, 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 the fragrance would last up to a week. And this is a beautiful picture because if you, can, if you can imagine, like here's Christ walking into Jerusalem and there's this powerful fragrance. 
around him as he's riding, the don- and riding in on the donkey. As he stands before Herod and Pilate, he's just a wreck. He's beaten up. He's, he's bleeding. He's struck and he's quiet. And yet there's this powerful fragrance around him. What a beautiful picture of the brokenness of our Savior and the fragrance of the, of the treasure that's inside of him. We as Christians in the in a, in, and, you know, I love my country. I, I, and really, I mean, I, 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 we talk about, we criticize sometimes just American Christianity. But, you know, we have created something in the West here that is, that is so hard and impossible to maintain. And that's why God has to break because the vessel, the treasure has to get out. And, and what happens here is that, you know, the seed in, Roman, in John chapter 12, verse 24, unless the seed falls into the ground, it abides alone. You know, there's so much spiritual loneliness in our lives because we just don't we'll let God break us. You know? This is what loneliness, if you struggle with loneliness, and guys, I'm not, you know, I'm not diminishing that. We all, at different levels, some more than others, but whenever we feel that sense of isolation, and you know something, if you're struggling with it, and, and you're walking with God through that, you're no different than, we're no different than you, and, and, and you're not any different than, than us, but you know something, sometimes when, when we are just resisting the breaking of God, we could be in the middle of a church and we could feel like nobody, we're, we're just, nobody knows me. And it's not because we're not being social. It could just be that I'm on another frequency. I'm not allowing God to break me and I need to let God break me. You know, Judges chapter 7. This is another commentary, verses 19 through 23. Here is Gideon. You know, he's too many people. God says, you have too many people in your army for me to use you. Yes, too many. I need to whittle you down. I need to... Bring in these tests. I need to break you, Gideon. I need to, I need to, to make you so dependent on me that, the, that my power can be released. Because sometimes we are so strong. We are so powerful. We are so, we are so, like, we are so strong in ourselves that our, knee, our, our knees cannot bend in brokenness before the Lord in prayer because the church is too strong. You know what? God has to orchestrate things um, so, that, so that the treasure can get out. You know, when we talk about brokenness, we're not talking about a we're not talking about an abusive way that God deals with us. Because when the way that God deals with a human being, with you and I, he deals with us in just an amazing loving dignity. Okay? He doesn't treat us like trash. He doesn't treat us like you know, in India, there is a caste system and there's different levels of castes and there's different levels of human value. And there's some human beings that are not even, they're not even in the caste system are not even worthy to be looked at or to be, or to be helped. They're the outcasts. But when God deals with us, especially in our sin, like in, in John chapter 8, when he's dealing with a woman that's caught in adultery, he deals with her from a perspective of such great dignity and respect. And when you and I sin, when we have broke, when we ourselves, we... We've fallen, you know, we bro- we're broken. And when God is dealing with you and I, he's dealing with us from such a perspective of dignity, love, and respect. And guys, that for me is, that's just such a foreign thing. Like, I, I can't figure that out. And, and, and it's something that I'm learning myself and how to, how to deal with, with people who can't pull themselves up in their own, with their own bootstraps and can't get their life together. Because <laughs> I come from a family that's just so like, ambitious and like get it done and you know and then you look at people that are falling by the wayside and and you kind of almost like look at them like well they're there because they made a series of bad decisions 
God doesn't look at people like that. God looks at people from the perspective in their brokenness of great love and great dignity. And he speaks to them and he kneels down and he kneels down like the woman's on the ground. and He's kneeling down and he's saying, where are your accusers? You know, one thing that my wife and I are trying to be more mindful of. We have a three, a three, and a three year and a half, three and a half year old at home is when we talk to him, not to be these towering adults speaking down to him, but really to get down on my knee or knees down to his level and speak to him eye to eye. Because we don't want, we don't want my, our son to feel that parental engagement is a, is a lack of, of, of value and dignity towards his little soul. When God comes and, you know, the, the condescent, the, the coming down, you know, when, and, and this is the kind of theology that Jesus had. He would, it's called, one, one um, Japanese theologian calls it the kneeling down theology of Christ, the way he, he would kneel down and talk to people. You know, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ that we read about in the book of Corinthians was named the Bema seat, which is a, which is a, which is a seat not of judgment and punishment, but it was where people would go in the Roman system to go and get recompense and get justice for things where they were wronged. And this was a seat that, that was like set, set up on like a, probably like a little stage like that. And it was just high enough so that when the judge was sitting on the seat and you'd walk up to that seat and you're, you're standing there, it would be, you'd be eye to eye with that judge. This is how God deals with you and I. Moses was not a man that understood yet brokenness because he represents the law. The law cannot be broken. The law, the law is just not breakable. I mean, it break, you can break it, but it's, it does, the, law, the law is a system that does not work any humility into our lives. Systems do not work into humility, don't, do not work humility and submission. And this is what governments don't get. Okay? I mean, I love, I love our government. I'm praying for our government. But, you know, generally governments don't get it. They're like, we need to throw more systems and more laws and more rules and more policies. And guess what? That comes into the church. And it's foreign to the, to the body of Christ because the system does not work humility. Ask anybody that's been in law enforcement or that's worked in, in prisons. How many people are truly converted and become amazing, wonderful citizens when they come out of jail? Not, I mean, I don't, know what the, I don't know what the percentage is on that, but maybe not a lot. There's only one thing that can break us, that can break the vessel, and that's the goodness and the kindness of God in Romans chapter 2 that leads us to repentance. And we were saying this last night, and then afterwards we had this little discussion here about repentance, and it was so rich, and it was so great. You know, repentance is something in my life that I have no capacity to do unless I understand the goodness and the, and the kindness of God. I can, be regret, I can have regret. I can say I'm sorry, but there's no true transformation until we have a revelation of the goodness and the kindness of God. And that's why Moses could never enter into the promised land, because he didn't understand that this is not something that, that I need to break again because it's already been broken. And so let's look at this. You know why there's, there's, there's what breaks us? And, and this is the point I wanted to get to about dignity, human dignity. What is, what is God not breaking when he's breaking us? Okay, God's not breaking your will. Okay, the world system does that. Slavery does that. You know, when we went to Bosnia on a mission trip right after the war, um, but we were expecting to see some really broken, open people that were really hungry for God. We didn't. We found some war-hardened individuals that wanted nothing to do with us or our religion, and it pushed them farther into Islam. God is not breaking the will. God is not, God is not and the second thing, God is not crushing our human dignity or our value. The devil does that. The world will, like, will try to break your will. The devil will try to break your dignity. 
And then God is, number three, not trying to break your human body. Because, you know, if you break, you know, like we see people that have, we hear about stories that have been people where people are tortured and the, their bodies are broken. Richard Wormbrandt. But yet something inside of them was never broken. How does God break us? He breaks the vessel. He breaks the soul. He breaks that part of us. He breaks those preferences. You know, the soul has five parts to it. He breaks our, he breaks these, he breaks each part of that. And he's breaking that. He's breaking the ability for us to have things our way in our preference. The soul is self-aware of itself. And, 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 we, and when God is breaking those, those selfish things that he's, like this week we walked through it. A lot of us, you know, somebody said it yesterday. You know, I was a great spiritual Christian until I didn't have any electricity. That's <laughs> a raging pagan. They didn't say it that way, but I, I was. I was a raging pagan <laughs> when I had no electricity or water, you know? And um, what's the way of blessing? What does a powerful Christian look like? Powerful Christianity is when I say, when I, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I, I surrender to God as a living sacrifice. And I say, God, not my will be done. Thy will be done, not my will be done. And when we do that, we're not striking the rock. We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not killing people. We're not breaking people. Um, we are not, we're not insisting things to go our own way. And this is what knowledge does. And this is, you know, we have Bible school here. We, you know, and, and some of like, I, I love it. I love our teaching. I love the way, you know, we disciple. The goal is not to make us smarter people. The goal is that we would learn how to walk and think with God on mission. Now we could like, you know what? Yesterday's class in Romans that that would stir up in my heart to go across the street and, 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 and knock on my neighbor's door or go to a neighborhood like we've done in Cimarron and just meet people and say, you know what? Hey, what's going on in your life? Can I pray for you? You know, that that would stir us because knowledge, knowledge will only puff up and make us, let me say it this way, knowledge is not applied by faith in my life because I only know what I've applied in my life. I mean, I can have a lot of information. Before I was a parent, I could tell you how to be a good parent. Before I was a parent, right? Right? Some of you are nodding your heads. I've done, parent, I've done parental seminars, you know? I've done marriage seminars, you know? And like, and like the, you know, you become a parent and you're like, what do I know here, you know? And you know it, but now it's time to apply it. We only know, and, and Jesus said this in, in the book of John. He said, you know, he said it to this effect. He said that, you know, you only know what you're applying in your life by faith. And... And so what is the way of power? What's the way of blessing? What's the way of fruitfulness? As soon as the outward man is broken. And again, the outward man is that soul, that part of us, that soul, that the, 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 it's the treasure, it, it, the spirit inside of the soul is that treasure. It's that part of us that we were talking about last night in the book of John, that, there, that he that is born of God sinneth not. We said this last night. There's a part of you that does not sin. And that's the new man inside of you. And that's who you truly are. He does not sin. And when temptation comes at that new man, that Christ in you, there's, there, there, there is no temptation for that new man. That's who you and I are in Christ. That's how God sees us. And when, 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 when you and I go through these random things during the week, right? And I tell you, and this is one of the problems that we have, is that we go through random things. And this is one of two reasons why we're not broken. Number one is we don't recognize it's from the hand of God to break me, you know? That like, that like these random things that happen to like my tire blows up on Kirkendall or whatever, 
you know? It's things like that to keep us broken, to keep us in a place where we are surrendered to God. And it's a place where, and we don't even realize it, but when we meet together, when we meet together, when we meet together, you know what happens? We share, there's that treasure, there's that communion of the treasure with one another. Amen, there's that communion. It's like, it's like you know, you know, in this room, because it's the body of Christ, there's a wide spectrum of personalities. Because this is not a, we're not, what we're, tr- we're, we're, not, we're not trying to do here is create some kind of a social culture where everybody says and acts and does the same thing the same way. This is the body of Christ. And so you're going to have a wide range of personalities. And that just brings us to the cross all the time. But you know what's really cool is that you might meet somebody and you might say, that person looks really tough. But when you sit down with them and start talking with them and start communing with them about Christ, you, can, you discover that there's a broken vessel there and the treasure is coming out. And that's what is satisfying fellowship, isn't it? That's what we want. We don't want the new finang, the, the, you know, that's an 80s word. I'm sorry, let's use a different word. The new slick, modern type of Christianity that, that can be, you know, it's like a business plan Christianity. It's like we don't need that. We don't need more systems and programs. What we need is, is more surrender to God and brokenness. And when you and I are broken and surrendered, I can sit down with somebody on the other on the other sphere on the other on the other um, on the other personality range that's so different than mine. Someone that I naturally would not hang out with. I mean, there's people in this room that you're not going to naturally hang out with me, you know, just because, just because, right? But when we sit down together and there's that we're we're breaking bread. And you know what that bread is? When Jesus is breaking that bread at communion at the communion table, that's such a beautiful picture. It's a picture of the father breaking his son. And he hands his son out. He, this is my body. Take it. And when we eat that, you know, we're communing. And, you know, when you sit down, like, with someone like, you know, Robert or Derek or, or, or Josiah or Jeff or any of these, any of you guys in this room, and we're, fell, and we're and, you know, you're coming to, and, and, and you're coming and we're meeting together and there's that brokenness and you're like, man, I'm so satisfied. I'm so full. And we walk home. I can't tell you, one of my favorite you know what my favorite part of Sunday is? One of my most favorite parts of Sunday is me driving home in my truck back to my house thinking I'm so satisfied. I'm so full, you know? I'm so content. Yet at the same time, <laughs> we're just right now in such a random place, you know, like, you know? And if you're new here, it's just, I hope it's refreshing for you, but it's, we're in such a random place right now because we live in a, in a place where we, are no, we understand we're no longer can control and God has done this. So I want to wrap it up with this. We said that there's two reasons for not being broken. Number one, we just live in darkness and we don't, we don't acknowledge this is from the hand of the Lord. We say it's flesh and blood. Oh, it's flesh and blood. It's the government. It's this, it's that. It's, it's, you know, it's my neighborhood, you know, HOA, or it's my, you know, it's my neighbor or it's whatever. It's, it's my spouse. But if we don't see it from the hand of the Lord, like David did when that guy was throwing dust and rocks at him and cursing David, remember that? And, you know, was it Shimei? Who was it? Wanted to say, David, just get out of the way. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this guy. No, maybe the Lord is speaking to him, speaking to me through him. Number two, the second reason why we're not, we're not, we don't get broken is because of self-love. Self-love. Just love ourselves too much. No, can't do that. I love myself too much. Oh, I can't do that because culturally they're not part of my circle or ethnically or language-wise or, you know, they're just a different cut, 
economically or just whatever the weird reasons we have is that we secretly love ourselves. We secretly love ourselves so much that God has to put, put us in a place where we can't deliver ourselves. And this is the main point I want to bring, I want to bring here to the, to the message is this, is that there's so much that God wants to do through his, through his body, through his church that he cannot do because we refuse to be broken. And you know something, we, and we said this last night, that you know what, sin is not only just me doing bad things. Sin is li- me living in my religious flesh that can, that can do a good job with the mask and, and fulfill the will of God. Jack Hiles, he was an old Baptist preacher back in the day, just a, you know, just a, a fun guy to watch. And, and I just remember him saying that, he said, when I first started preaching, I shook and I was scared and I was nervous and I, I, I just could, I could hardly get through my messages. And he said, yet God anointed it because uh, I did it by faith. He said, but I'm, I have this great fear now that I have learned how to preach in my flesh, that my flesh has learned how to preach, that my flesh has learned how to serve God, that my flesh has learned how to share the gospel with somebody. My flesh has learned how to say things to keep everybody thinking, hey, he's good, he's good. And that, what happens is that blocks, that, that keeps God from working in our midst. Do we want to have a powerful church? Do we want to have a powerful marriage? Do we want a parent, powerful parentalhood? Do we want to have a powerful testimony in our business? Then let God break you. And I say this to myself first, let God break you. You know, it's funny because so many of you in this room that are new that, that we didn't know pre-COVID, you know, and it wasn't, you know, and I've shared this with some of you that, that up until COVID, we were like, you know, it was just kind of a, we were in a, we were a unique church and it looked a little different than it does now. But yet God has done this with so many other churches. He's bringing us to a point where he's boiling us down to really focus and understand what does the New Testament church look like? And that's a church that says, yes to God, thy will be done. I heard someone had said it this way, and I don't know who said it, but it's beautiful. He who has ascended the cross and refuses to drink the vinegar mingled with, with gall is the one who knows the Lord. The, the, cup from, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Will not drink the cup of vinegar mingled with gall. You know, we don't, we're not in self-deliverance. We're in a place where, like, maybe I'm not praying that God delivers me from all these things but that we can meet the person in the fiery furnace. Lord, don't deliver me from the furnace necessarily, but I want to meet the person in the furnace, and that's Christ in the furnace. So look, when you look at your wounds, when you look at your hardships, don't diminish their value. And, and they are some of your greatest assets. And what you have been through the last 20 years, if you've been alive that long, that's brought you to this day, is some of your greatest spiritual assets. And that brokenness, you know, and, and many of us in this room, we've talked about these weird times in our life where we don't even see the purpose of God, just hardship. And yet all of that has happened so that today you and I could break bread together and we could taste and we could share Christ. And that is why when, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians twelve nine, he said, when I'm weak, weak in the flesh, weak by choice, like choosing not to live in my flesh at that moment so that I could just voluntarily live in brokenness and that the treasure would come out. That's a powerful Christianity. And when we, when we live like that, when we live in that kind of weakness, we are allowing God to be strong. It's okay for us not to have to try to, and this is what we said this last night, striving is when I have to feel like I have to prove everything, make everything happen, and everything depends on me. It doesn't. 
And I'm so glad as a pastor that I don't have to live that way. I can drive into the parking lot here and not worry about how many cars are here, not, not worry about who and who's here and who's not here. I can just come and say, you know what? Christ is going to be there. Amen. I'll tell you a story, and some of you guys have heard it, but I was pastoring. My wife and I were in Philadelphia, and we were replanting a church there that, had, you know, that, that was affiliated with us. And I remember we had this whole thing like all lined up. We had a pig roast. I want to do that here, too. We had a pig roast. You know, we had gotten a pig, and we were like, you know, we had like, and it was a little church. It was like the building was probably the size of this cafe, you know? And we thought, we're going to pack this church out. We're going to have a community day Saturday. We're going to have, so we had like about 200 plus people on our property. We had music. We had, we had invited businesses to come open, open up on our parking lot, like their, their, like their little kiosks and stuff. We had, we had tons and tons of people there. And I just remember, um, I just remember it was so packed. And then Saturday night I went home exhausted. I was thinking, man, we're going to have a packed out service tomorrow. It's going to be great. We worked so hard. Sunday morning comes and guess what happens? <laughs> it was like 10 elderly people and one family that was just, I mean, it was just, you know, I got to be careful because this, this is recording, but, you know, like I walk in and like, you know, three cars in the parking lot. I walk in and I'm like, God, you know, it's just like, you know, we worked so hard. Where is everybody? We're here. You know, we're, this is not even like, I'm not even from Philadelphia. What are we even doing here? You know? And, and I walk in. I see everybody, you know, the sweet elderly people there. Oh, hi, Pastor. You know, hey. And I sit down, and music starts, and I'm like, and so I, I was just really like, you know, I was in the flesh. And I just remember praying, and the Lord, I remember the Holy Spirit saying, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough? I go, no, he's not. I want a full church. And I was like, you know, you're wrestling with God. And, it's like, and I was like, okay, Jesus is enough. I said, I got to get this, I got to figure this out because I'm going to get up and I've got to preach and I've got to be in some kind of a spiritual mindset to deliver the word. And I just remember just falling on the rock because the rock fell on me. You know, we can either let the rock fall on us or we can just fall on the rock and surrender. And when we do that, you know what happens? And, you know, we left that church and I don't know what God was doing there and, and I don't know what happened there. And, you know, I, to this day, I mean, there's some disciples there, and it's beautiful. But I think, the, I think the five years I was there, God was doing more in me than anybody else. And you know something? When we fall on the rock, the treasure comes out. And you know what? That's when what you do is powerful. That's when there's an anointing in your life. That's when you talk to people, and they walk away like, what is it about that person? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm changed. And you know something? It's not technique. It's not intonation. I love Pastor Adam's um, South African accent. I wish I had that. I would probably be, I felt like if I could be more anointed when I preach with a South African accent. You know what it is? It's just, I could, if I'm a broken person, I could come up here and read John 3.16 and it would be anointed and we'd be all on our face worshiping God. If we, if we just understood brokenness. Everything that we've gone through through 2020 is really preparing us for 2021. And as, I don't know if 2021 is going to be any better. I hope it is. I think it is. But you know, one thing's not going to change Christ is not going to change. And the call to brokenness is not going to change. And when we, when we allow ourselves to be broken, you know, I was in this cafe, and I know this is Jeff and Marsha's dream, and this is something that we've been dreaming too. We're just kind of tagging along, you know, and we're just here all week, and I just thought, people walk in, it's packed. And it's always the energy in the room is just so amazing. I thought, this is exactly, exactly what we prayed and envisioned, that there would be a place, like a front porch, you know, for, for church where people could come in and we could minister to them and 
talk with them and share Christ with them and lead them to Christ in some cases. And you know what happens? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen without being without brokenness. You know? It, you know, talk to Jeff and Marsha like that, you know, what they've been through. You know, what Marsha's been through and what Jeff's been through. You know, and all the years leading up to this. And it's this moment, because at this moment now, there's a testimony here in Magnolia. And it's not easy to, for people to get here. You know, people are like, well, I kind of went around here and there. And by the way, there's a billboard out there. I think we should get that billboard. Yeah. You know, let's get that billboard. And they, get, they come in here and they're like, like, wow, this is just amazing. You know, and, and you know, there's random people walking up to people and starting conversations. Why? Because it's the body of Christ. And no system can make that happen. It can only be through brokenness. And, and you just, you drag yourself through the door and you're like, you're just laying spiritually on the ground, like just bleeding everywhere. And you know something? God's going to build you up and God's going to encourage you. And so let's not look at powerful Christianity as me getting stronger and not sinning as much anymore. That's not the point. The point is you look at Christ and, and as we heard last night, you're just going to, you're just, that sin is not even in your mind. It's not even like something that you're thinking about. You know, it's just something that when you're in this midst of, when you're in, in, in a place where, where you can be encouraged and become God aware. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is just good stuff and the bad stuff about my life. And that's where most of Christianity camps out. Oh, I did good. I did bad. And it's just there's no life in that tree. The tree of life is Christ and the cross. Yeah. It's all crucified. I'm a new creation. And it's all gone. And it's like, okay, maybe I sinned last night. But that's not even the issue. The issue is that Christ is here. And he's washing me in a continual present active in First John chapter 1 verse 9 and 10 and 12 that I'm being constantly cleansed by the blood of Christ from all unwork, from all un, un, uncleanliness and it's happening in a present tense and it means like oh maybe okay I've repented but you know something it's like I'm in Christ and I'm walking in, in, and it's like Lord take my life and this is what and, and this gospel this gospel is what is what Peter is what Paul and Peter willingly died for you know it's willing it's like you know something the gospel and the grace and the blood of Christ is greater than me, and it possesses me. And it's like, if I lose my life and God has to break me in some way, it's not easy. And I'm not going to say, praise the Lord, let's sing a worship song right now. I might be, it might be very hard for me, but we just walk through it because something greater that's inside of us. We're not vessel worshipers. We're Christ worshipers, and the treasure's coming out. And that's what, that's what, that's what people need to see. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, 